Welcome to a very literary episode of Seishira, the Music Explorers podcast. As always, I'm Scoop Magoo. I'm Jim Jam. I know. That was quite... I felt very, very jazz today. I I, I feel like my degree is finally um, going to use today. So, with with that introduction. I remember when I first changed my major to English, I commented on Facebook. This is when I used to just say things on Facebook beyond... (laughs) I think like the last be, 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 beyond post, minions memes. No, I post like, hey, like you know, I got married. Here's some photos, whatever. But I don't, I don't post. And here, here are all my minions memes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I when I get memories, I'm like, oh my god, I used to post so much more. But anyway, when I said I was becoming an English major, one of my high school friends was like, you know, good luck being unemployed. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that's nice. Um, but the person we're talking about today is not only not unemployed, uh, she wrote a very successful book that has been sitting in my bathroom for years now. And we finally <laughs> read it. We had, a, we had a reason to read it. And it is, and it will make sense once I say it, uh, Meet Me in the Bathroom, the Rebirth rebirth and Rock and Roll in New York City from 2001 to 2011. It is an oral history written by well, Lizzie it's Goodman. edited, but yeah. Edited oral. Thing. No, we, yeah. we both sat down and she rec- recanted it all. Or recounted it all to us. Yeah. Orally. Well, I, I mean, uh. <laughs> if you want to get into that side of it, I mean, yeah, an, an oral by an oral history can be, um, I mean, it's definitely like you, you, you're editing the piece. Like, you know, you're, you're taking people's interviews and you are calling them down to sort of the essential ingredients and sort of ordering them in the way that makes the most sense. Yes. Um, and we and, we have plenty to discuss in that regard. So without further ado, let me just quickly run down what the book is. Uh, It is a mammoth collection of interviews from just dozens of people who were... I think the biggest surprise is that it really was a rebirth in New York City. I guess I, you know, this is all music that growing up was was pretty popular uh, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I'd heard heard at least a few songs from these artists here or there and different things. Um, but I guess it, it was interesting to read just how much of an impact they had in terms of reviving um, rock in the, at the turn of the century. Uh, <laughs> and and it, it goes a little bit um, into the 90s beforehand, you know, providing a little bit of a preamble. But, yeah, she, she really did an exhaustive job interviewing. Uh, I mean, I didn't count through all of the... Um, uh, <laughs> all the people listed, but oh, yeah. it, it, it was is... dozens upon dozens of, of people ranging from, you know, pretty prominent musical names, you know, Karen O, Karen O from Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's, uh, Julian Casablancas from The Strokes. Yeah, basically, um, uh, I mean, yeah, I, no, sorry, I, I don't want to interrupt. It just like, basically, I mean, the, the whole book covers a bunch of bands from that are sort of these New York indie bands. But I I feel like it primarily focuses on uh, three bands, you know, The Strokes, Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, and Interpol. And then, you know, I think to, like, kind of a lesser extent, um, TV on the radio and LCD sound system. And then to an even lower extent, kind of like Vampire Weekend, uh, even like a couple of bands like The Hives and uh, like White Stripes kind of, uh, yeah. even though, you know, the last two weren't really from New York. Um, but it was, you know, they, they're all playing similar, um, music, but yeah, it, I mean, there are a bunch of other bands thrown in, you know, like, like you were saying, the preamble talks a little about Jonathan Fire Eater, which was kind of like the proto strokes in a way. Yeah. Well, I, I had honestly never heard of them and that yeah. is a great name. I, it, it, it really I, I is. really like it. Yeah. Um, except, except the, the fucking apostrophe or the, the asterisks, you know? Yeah. Was, but that's just like, that, Okay. Maybe it's like an Anderson Pock thing. Do you know why Anderson Pock uh, formats his name like that? Where the, no. there's a, ran, a random period? Uh, he does this specifically as a way to test people's attention to detail. Uh, like, oh, you know, that's people, such a yeah. dick move. Fuck that. Oh, I, th- I think it's kind of cool. Like, basically, well, it, you know, it's, people, it's people like, re- okay, it, in my mind, that that's like, um, like, have you heard that story of how, like, Van Halen, you know, like, like 
they would ask for these insane things on their tour riders. But, you know, like the famous one is, is you know, a bowl of M&Ms with all the greens taken out or like some derivative of that. You know, it, okay. and the, like the whole idea is that, oh, you know, the venue has to be able to pay attention to these details. And it's like, yeah, cool on one hand. On another hand, you're kind of a dick. <laughs> so I feel like remembering to include a period is a little bit lower stakes than the i i have heard that m&m story and that's not yeah. not that cool <laughs> um but yeah i mean one of my initial you know reading through this i mean obviously we're doing an episode on this so i have a number of takeaways but i was i was always wondering because sometimes i mean this happens a lot with different like you know the mtv documentaries bh1 stuff like that like they'll get someone who they won't get necessarily primary sources all the time. Like they'll get some, but they'll get some like, you know, ten, tangential figures, like people who yeah. were or, there, but they won't get like the big stars. Yeah, and, or, or like sometimes right. there will be like certain names missing, you know, certain interviews missing from those, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And, and technically, that is the case here um, for Interpol. Their their their, I think their initial guitarist or their initial bassist, Carlos. Uh, isn't anywhere, I'm pretty sure, in the book, though they do talk about him. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah. But yeah, I think my, my, my takeaway was I kept wondering if that was going to happen, but just, I was like, oh, like, you know, they're talking with, you know, some other people from LTD Sound System. I wonder if they'll get James. Oh, there he is. You know, oh, they're mentioning <laughs> yeah. White Stripes. I wonder if they'll talk to Jack. Oh, there he is. It just, it felt like, like, and then I, they didn't get to, like in the stroke section, when they first started talking with them, they didn't talk to Julie, or she didn't quote him right away. So I was like, oh, I wonder if they like they couldn't get him. But oh no, they're like it just it was really impressive that yeah. this was an incredibly exhaustive book. You know, she really, really nailed down. I mean, I can't think of anyone. I mean, certainly there may have been you know there could have been other bands she might have interviewed, but in terms of the people she spoke about and getting a, like a good sense of the, I feel like basically I feel like you got your money's worth with this book. Um, yeah. In terms of, of like all the all the folks you want to hear from in this specific you know kind of framework that she's talking about, you know, pretty much covered everyone. Yeah, I I, I can I, I agree with that. Um, I think on top of reading this, I mean, because I personally have never listened to the Strokes or Yayas or Interpol or basically any band that was talked about at great length here. You haven't listened um, to like even like last night or, or like Reptilia. You hadn't heard. Well, like, yeah, the, I, those I, were big songs when I was growing Re- up. Reptilia was on uh, Guitar Hero Three. That that was yeah. that was to like until yesterday. I think my only experience with the Strokes. Um, you know, and like today I, I put on like Turn on the Bright Lights and I put on Fever yeah. to Tell. Um, and you know I I have thoughts on all three of those, but I I, I thought it you know sort of given my own lack of experience that it would be cool to kind of listen to those bands and kind of get an yeah. idea of what thing, you know, what they're like, because I, I think, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's really strange, but like, I don't know. I, I, I just never had ex- like experiences with these bands. I think it was kind of due to my, you know, sort of my own upbringing, but also how my interest kind of, you know, veered sharply into metal. Like, pretty much the minute I, I was like conscious of like, wait, like music can be like awesome, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's just like, I, I, I yeah. think I just kind of fell down into like a Metallica rabbit hole and just, you know, kind of swam about there. And so, you know, when it came to like something, you know, like the strokes, you know, or like, like, you know, um, like Interpol, which it, PDA was on, um, Rock Band Two, which again, the, the, my only experience with either of those bands was 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 through video <laughs> yeah, games. So I love how you um, just keep bringing. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these were all. Um, I mean, I, I didn't listen to these albums till much later, and I will say that of, of the group, I uh, probably spent the most time with. I spent a lot of time with Vampire Weekend. They're one of, you know, candidly one of my favorite bands now. Probably a little bit more time mm-hmm. with LCD Sound System. Not all positive, but just because they've yeah. kind of made a name for themselves. Yeah, I haven't, haven't listened to The Strokes and Yeah Yeah Yeahs a ton, but I, you know, their songs growing up. Uh, the Heads Will Roll by Yeah Yeah Yeahs was was such a such a great song. There was a, a remix by A Track that really stuck with me, and then of course all the the hits from The Strokes were just very prevalent when I was growing up. So. But I, I didn't, 
I didn't look at this music critically at the time. So it, it was mm. really like illuminating to now to look back and, and to read. Um, and I was, I always liked this stuff. I mean, this was a lot more, um, no, I mean, there was some wild, wild stuff in the joy division book we read, but I think this definitely took the cake in terms of, of, I mean, this was very much sex, drugs and rock and roll that you, you would expect. From yeah. The I mean, New York I, scene. yeah, I, I, I'm, so I'm kind of in a weird place with oral like histories right now because, um, I, just finished uh so dylan roberts uh edited a um i'm gonna say edited not wrote because they didn't write it um but yeah they uh yeah he he made a book on uh david bowie um uh, a few years ago and i finally got around to reading that and that was um yeah it it, it was okay i i think i mean if, if you want to start sort of talking about you know sort of getting into the meat of sort of our conversation here i mean yeah i personally find that the oral history so far is is a very it's a difficult um you know it's it's a difficult type of format to nail right um because i think you know i i feel like joy the joy division book kind of got it probably the best in my experience yeah i'm actually really glad that we we read that because I think it, it will really talking about that book will help help give some useful examples and talking about this book. Cause I think you're totally right. Um, I, I don't want to, I just wanted to interject that, but I want you to yeah. take your points away. Yeah. Yeah, d- definitely. No, I'd say I'm because I feel like the joy division book kind of kept to the point in a way. And, you know, I, I think part of that is that it, it had a very limited scope, you know, it wasn't like, you know, da- you know, David Bowie yeah. was working, you know, from like, the late sixties until 2016, you know? Sure. And on top yeah, of that, Joy, Joy Division have, just, just had, yeah. Joy Division had fewer people and was operating for a exactly. you know, much shorter time. Yeah. yeah and I, I think they definitely limited the scope of people that they interviewed for that. And like, so for like the David Bowie one, they had like everybody, I mean, like, like Courtney Love, yeah. you know, had like a little blur, even though it was nothing like yeah it, yeah. but see, that was that book's biggest fault is that Dylan Roberts or what was it? Yeah, it was Dylan. Oh, I can't remember if it was Dylan Roberts or Dylan Jones. I can't. I can't believe I, I'm fucking this up now. But um, <laughs> um <laughs> hit the the biggest issue with that book was that like, it, okay, so so when when you're compiling these interviews, you know, you want to keep things in a chronological order or relative chronological order. You know, you want to keep the topics, you know, sort of going along with the biography. You know, with sort of mm. with the history of what's going on. And, um, and on top of that, you want to keep it to relevant information. And he just failed on both parts in like massive, massive ways. He would have like these, you know, excursions that would go on for like two pages, sometimes even more of just like this mm. random person describing just this one thing that Bowie would do or, you know, like, and it, and it just, you know, it, some of it was interesting, but a lot of it was just focused more on celebrity than it was his music and a lot of it just felt mm. a lot of, like very uh extraneous and just unnecessary and what was worse is that it it was never it, like it always felt like it jumped around like it went like oh yeah we're talking about like bowie's first album when he was still davy jones you know before he changed his name but then like it suddenly skips forward to like oh yeah we're talking about ziggy which is like three albums later you know mm. so it's it, it's it's really like you know it's tough to kind of wrap your head around that, especially when you, I mean, Bowie is such a huge discography. So it's just, it was extremely difficult. And I think for me, this book's biggest fault is kind of this lack of focus. Um, Like it, it, I think in that I feel like, which by the way, this is uh, by Lizzie Goodman. I don't think we ever mentioned that. Um, Lizzie Goodman, I, I, I feel like she sort of bit off more, than she could chew in a way um because like just the scope of the book just felt like it was way too big like and this isn't like a comment on vampire weekend or like you know some of the some of the bands that they were talking about later like the national um you know it was just like it, it, it just felt like those stories were kind of tacked on the end because they're like oh well they they kind of fit in with this scene but it's like they they do and they don't you know, I, I felt like specifically we were talking about like 
you know, 2000, you know, we were talking about 2001, we were talking about the fallout from 9-11, we were talking about, you know, sort of, you know, indie music, we were talking about the rebirth of rock in New York around that time. And, and I just felt like the scope was way too big. And it focused on all these random bands. Like when it came to LCD sound system, I found that whole like narrative thread to be just just so unnecessary and annoying. And, and part of that is because it felt like it was just a contest between James Murphy and uh, Tim Hodgkinson, or, or I think that's yeah. his name, to, to see who is the bigger <laughs> asshole, basically. Yeah. Um, and it was yeah. a pretty even contest, if you ask me. Um, you know, it, it was just like, and meanwhile, they, so they basically more talked about DFA records and sort of everything before that, as opposed to actually talking about the sound system. Like they, the only album that they actually mentioned in it, I think is this is happening in sound of silver. They don't even talk about the first album, you know, even mm. though they're like, oh yeah. Like they didn't even talk about like making the first album. Like it's, it, it's so bizarre. It's interesting yeah. because I think LCD Sound System's first album probably, uh, I think that fits the like the best exactly. with everything else they were talking about because yeah. after that they really went into a different direction. So, yeah, and then you yeah. know, I think on top of that, you know, I mean, you could even argue that I don't even know if LCD Sound System even belongs in this book in a way because like I felt like the way they were talking about it, it always felt like it was in like a different world almost from like the world of like yeah yeah yeahs and the strokes like it felt like like mm-hmm. oh yeah sometimes they like rub elbows but it was it was never really like as much of like a scene as like sort of what the strokes came out of in a way like they, they always yeah. felt weirdly separate um but then they also included like you know stuff like like you know talking about fisher spooner and i'm like okay like, like i mean just you know i i in my opinion they were kind of assholes too like really pretentious you know but also like what was the point of talking about them like you talked about them for like 20 pages and then they just kind of like disappeared you know it's like it's the same thing with um uh the rapture it was like okay you talked about them for like 30 or 40 pages then they, they just disappeared too and it's like why like why even talk about that like, like that's what i'm that's what i'm saying here is that like the focus is just was just way like it felt like it was too focused on capturing an entire you know generation of music as opposed to a very specific scene in a way and like in some ways i i feel like it's it's laudable you know to you know want to take on something that big but at the same time it just for this, this thing is almost 600 pages and it's just like that that's a big ask like that that, that that's a lot to like sort of you know jam in a reader's like eyes you know for for that long that's... Yeah, I, um, I think where I landed is that this felt like, or I guess in the, I was gonna say the director's cut, but I guess this felt like the author's cut, except it's the primary yeah. edition because, I, I mean, I meant what I said at the top of the episode is is you definitely get your money's worth. Like, you, oh, it, it definitely, it truly felt, truly felt like she left no stone unturned. She talked to an, yeah. anyone you could think of that might be relevant during this period. It, it, and if, if you like these bands, I mean, this is like the book to read. Like I can't think no, of a I, better, more informative book than this. Um, no. And it was, it, it was really, um, it, it was interesting because I'll pull one example. I, I really liked, and it was because of something else I read. So, um, Japanese breakfast released a really good, album this year and uh she also released a memoir about you know kind of helping her mom who 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 died of cancer and just kind of looking back at how that led her to form the band and she so the the front woman michelle's honor uh she is korean and she talked about seeing the aas come through where she grew up in uh washington i think it was outside of seattle um she talked about how impactful it was to see Karen O, another, you know, like it's one of those, you know, reasons why representation could be important is that she saw like a, a, a Korean woman being a rock star. She's like, hey, I can do that too. So like when they talked about that in the book, and Karen O was very humble about it and said, you know, I'm just doing, you know, I'm, I'm glad if that's the case, you know, but I'm just I'm doing me, and it, that was really cool. I mean, and and yeah. that's kind of emblematic of the types of quotes you got from this. You got some really 
earnest and oftentimes messy quotes from people in this scene. Um, the it, part about 9-11, I... Oh, I, yeah, you, no, go, go ahead. No, I was going to say the part, the section about 9-11 was really, um, you know, because I was in, I think I was in first, second grade when that happened. So yeah. ever since, you know, see, you know, kind of hearing accounts, I just, I find that fast, you know, kind of morbidly fascinating. So, um, you know, those two examples, you know, I bring up to say that you, you got some really cool stories. You get some really interesting tidbits that she obviously spent a lot of time pulling together. But there are a lot of tidbits. I mean, it's hard yeah. to call them chapters just because they, I mean, even even the longer sections felt like they would be somewhat medium length chapters in, in other other music biographies. Um, some, some of the sections were really, really short. Yeah. And See, I think... I, I... I will say that that's probably my favorite part of this book is that, you know, she really knew where to edit in some places. I think it was like on a uh, microscopic level. She really got the like the editing down, like down pat, uh, but on like a macro, like on a more macrocosmic level. Yeah, like it, it, that's, it felt like that's a little a, directionless. That's a yeah. really, really good place to, or, or way to put it is that, you know, it, it did feel like. When it, when a section ended, it, it, it made sense, like to your point. But yeah, overall, I mean, I think probably the best way to, to sum it up is with again, really really cool the number of people she talked to. But outside of the the names you'd recognize, even the deep cuts, like you know, like I really like the uh, the national. So uh, Matt Berenger, you know, I, I recognized his name early on in the book. Obviously, Karen O is a little, you know, if you're at all familiar yeah. with the scene, you know, Karen O is Jack. Well, you know, there's some pretty obvious, the vast majority of the people she quoted, she didn't, she did a pretty good job throughout of, you know, picking quotes that kind of gave context clues and you could, you could pick up, you know, you know, pick up on who they were and how they were involved. But the Joy Division book, to your point, I think did a great job with this because I feel like I felt like he talked to pretty much just the right amount of people. Like you, mm. it was like throughout, it was easy enough to like if you kind of lost track of someone, you could quickly look back. I think maybe it was a double-sided page that listed everyone he talked to, who they were, how they were involved. Um, but you know, it 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 made a little bit of a a more seamless read. Whereas with this, sometimes I was just like, okay, I'm just going to trust this person's a source. I don't really, I don't really know who they yeah. are. I don't know what they're doing. Just I, because I I, I think I there were at least had, like. like I, I had to keep, you know, flipping back to like the uh, the dramatist persona like section at the beginning of the book. Honestly, I, I give up after a while because there's there was what at least like four or five double sided pages of names. Yeah, like they, it just it was a really extensive list, and after a while, it's like I I don't and I don't necessarily like I I think you could still enjoy it without knowing intimately who everyone is, but it, it was a little bit. It definitely it was a factor. Like it, it was, yeah. it was a little bizarre not knowing how everything. Um... I, I I personally find that with these oral biographies and these oral histories, I, I I tend to almost ignore the person saying like who's saying what after a while, and I just tend to just read it as it is. Um, and I I don't know if that's the smartest way to read, but it, it's just it feels like it's the best like way to sort of get into the rhythm of reading because I felt like constantly having to be like, Oh, who is this kind of threw me out of the loop in a way. But I, I think actually to an example you brought up earlier is I didn't, you know, uh, they explained who he was more or less, or he explained it, but the, uh, I forget his name, the, the, you know, the, the counterpart to James Murphy. Yeah. Uh, which by the way, is, I think. yeah. Which by the way, that's, that's my dad's name. So it's always weird to talk about him because <laughs> yeah, um, the, 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 that but, is weird. Yeah, because yeah, I, I was just dad, thinking about my, it. I, I just realized that too. Yeah, my dad and LCD sound system James Murphy are, are very different people. I will um, say LCD sound system <laughs> James Murphy. Like, no offense to your dad, but LCD sound system James Murphy has much better hair. Like, it, I mean, say yeah, what you will about a... about LCD sound system, but James Murphy has like a really really nice haircut. <laughs> He does. He does. Yeah. Um, um, but, you know, but, uh, but to, to yeah, your point, the, the yeah. 
I didn't know who he was at, at first. And I was kind of, that was my first thought too. When they started talking about him, I'm like, wow, this guy's kind of a dick. <laughs> like, and that would, that would come up now and again. I would be like, wow, this guy's kind of crazy. Like this guy's kind of, you know, and so not, I mean, again, it was easy enough to check and she did a pretty good job picking quotes that if you read it and read it closely enough, you would be like, okay, you know, I, I, I get it. I, I, I can kind of, I don't really know who this person is, but I can kind of get where they fit in. But sometimes it, it, I think it would have been nice to have kind of like a, a joy division, like that book level of people where after a while you can read it and kind of get who yeah. everyone is. Yeah. See, that, that, that's kind of something that I, I wrote this down that it, um, this book reminds me a lot of two other books that I've read before. Um, it's one is um, it's called uh, "Love Goes to Buildings on Fire" by uh, Will Hermes, and it's a um, it, it's similar to this in that it's a sort of like a history of of New York's like New York music back in the '70s. So it talks about like television and like Richard Hell and uh, Meredith Monk and Philip Glass and like you know a lot of revolutionary music that was going on uh, at the same time, you know, and it actually went really deep into the beginning of like um, DJ culture and like really, really early hip hop. Um, and it's a great book. I, I really, I, I maybe we should read that at some point because I, I really recommend people read that. Uh, it has an awesome cover too, but um, that in um, England's hidden reverse by David Keenan, which focuses on um, nurse with wound current 93 and coil. Um, you know, it felt like it was a blend between those two books in that it was focusing on a scene, but it was also focusing on sort of three big bands from that scene and sort of mm. their counterparts, um, sort of all done within the context of like an oral history. But I, I, I think that is kind of where that, you know, like that, that, that that's kind of its biggest fault and yet it's its biggest asset at the same time. Because I think in in like having that, you know, in focusing on a scene, you're obviously going to get a giant cast, you know, that's just mm. kind of part of it. And I think part of maybe why it was so bulky and I think why there were so many people, I think is because like I, I, I kind of wonder whether because like I, I don't know about you, but there was so much talk about drugs and sex and parties. And like I, I get that that's a big part of you know rock culture and especially in this scene but a lot of it really felt unnecessary and yeah. it was just like it, it felt like it was just like um like like because so like a lot of a lot of the people that she you know whose interviews show up here who aren't musicians are journalists for like you know like spin and enemy and like you know uh the people who founded vice magazine and like people like that, and like you know, uh, really early music bloggers, and shit like that, and um, you know, that's all well and good, but a lot of those people were just like you know, busy just doing coke, you know, with, with like yeah. at the Strokes' like concert and stuff, and, and it just yeah. didn't feel like like, like that. Their um, like I, I think part of it is that because uh, Lizzie Goodman was you know rubbing elbows with these people because she was seeing shows with them, and so she knew them. And so I feel like there's a little bit of bias there, um, which, I mean, if you want to, I, I, we can say this for a little later, uh, because I feel like I could probably extrapolate on this a little more, but I felt like this book is very biased towards the strokes. Um, and I think that's justified to a degree, but I think, again, only to a degree. But a anyway. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I think that is, is, an, is a great example to pull out in regards to this feeling like a deluxe edition because yeah, obviously talking about the partying, talking about, I mean, really everything she touched on, I thought was important to include. There wasn't anything. Well, I see like talking about like all these different like clubs that like people were DJing at. It's like, yeah, that's cool. But like, okay. But th there's little to anything to do with like the strokes or any of those bands there in a way. Yeah. Like, well, and I think that's where I was going to go next is that, you know, I don't, any of the, any of the specific themes she brought up, I got why she included it. I think it was just the, the sheer volume, like mm. the number of, like the, the number of examples of people doing drugs. Then, like you said, the number of examples of this is what happened at this club. Like after a while, like talking about this is what an average party night would be at this club. It's like, okay, like I, 
Both like, this book we, and, yeah. Like, I, I, have, I have never been to a party. I have never partied. But I, I have a pretty good idea of what happens there. Uh, yeah, you know? ex- exactly. <laughs> and I, I know you, you want to give everyone their due. You want to, you know, include everything. And, and, and I think I, I really am in going back to what you said earlier is that on the micro level, she did a great job editing each of these sections. She included some awesome quotes. But on the macro level, yeah, she really... I don't even know if there was a cutting room floor. It felt like she, yeah. I mean, obviously she had to, you know, she did a great job organizing, you know, the quotes. I think we talked about how this was a sneaky, quick read. I mean, just the sheer volume of the book. Yeah. You can't definitely. really ignore I, that. I, I, I will say, and I, I agree that I think for the most part, it's very chronological. It really goes in order, except yeah. for LCD sound system and like DFA records. That yeah. in particular felt like it was stretched out through the length of the book, even though it was really within the span of like something like or like three years, you know, maybe. I, I also like, and like maybe this is semantics, but I was a little to your point. I was a little confused why there was so much emphasis on DFA specifically. I, I think if you yeah. talk about LCD, you talk about the first record because that's the most of their records. That's the most rock oriented. But DFA is an electronic label. Like they're not. It's not. It's yeah, I mean, not I, really. I, it's not I, really I, I a rock was, label. I I think it was kind of like how like it was born. Like LCD is born from the ashes of DFA in a sense, and like you know it, you know James Murphy wouldn't be doing LCD sound system if it weren't for, you know him you know sort of learning to embrace club culture, you know in founding DFA. Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm trying to think like, like th- there are some bands that are like founded on sort of, you know, like they have like this really early history that, you, you know, it kind of, I, I guess, really famous example is like sort of the Beatles, you know, touring Germany, like way back, like before they blew up, like, you know, but, which gets some coverage, but, you know, it's, it's an integral part of their history or it's like, um, you know, it'd be, it'd be like talking about like Walt Disney, like before, you know, Snow, like uh, Snow White was you know being made like there's there's a rich history there you know of of him trying and failing again and again and you know pioneering animation things like that you know but you know it's it's sometimes it's just easier to start with snow white you know in this analogy Mm. um and i think it's it yeah it's it's just it it definitely it it just felt like it was stretched like it, it didn't feel like it like that that whole like narrative always felt always like out of place always out of chronology it, it it just felt really unnecessary um in a way and i think just given the amount of gossip and kind of like sniping back and forth that was going on between the two members it was just like those were always my least favorite parts to read um that that and the, the whole fisher spooner part i was like I was like, like I almost, I almost stopped reading and just, just to write down "fuck these guys" in my notes. In a way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I so yeah, I mean, like I, I, I feel like we're focusing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I think it's worth saying that you know, like this was hardly a bad book by any means. Like I really enjoyed this. I think by, I think. I, I felt myself getting a little burned out, frankly, just because I've read this thing in like a little under a week. And so, you know, there were days that I was doing over 100 pages and, you know, just reading over 100 pages of, of anything uh, in a single day is is very mentally taxing. So um, mm. that's all. But yeah, I. Yeah, but but I, I feel like yeah. the, you know, like former function or, or you know, et cetera. I feel like that's hard to ignore. Like, you know, the, the, I think we both agree, you know, I, again, it depended on who was quoted, it depended on the topic at hand, but overall the content was really strong. Like she did yeah, a great yeah, job interviewing. Um, um, just like, like the, 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 the way that you, I mean, you know, I come from a journalism background, like knowing how to splice quotes together and create a narrative is, is, is not easy when you're writing like, a, like just a short news article. So her doing this over 600 pages is, quite a task but yeah you can't definitely you you can't i mean it's kind of like a a great album that's too long where like the music itself is great but just there's just too there's just too much there's too much of it um and i guess i I don't i don't know what i would recommend she cut just because i think i lcd sound system (laughs) yeah but i I think the partying is a good example where 
and uh, yeah. the Rapture, and uh, I mean, I would even say Jonathan Fire Eater, almost, or or at least maybe yeah, integrate that yeah. more into like sort or of not, the beginning. Or not spend as much time on it because yeah, it was. I mean, yeah. it was cool to set up the, uh, but it was very like they were very short lived. Like it, it oh, was, it, it was a long section. I I would personally cut out Vampire Weekend and like sort of like, the like sort of like a couple of those bands that sort of wind up near the end that are kind of just talked about, like just which kind is of interesting more referenced. Which that that yeah. was interesting to me because that was one of the first things that came to mind when I think of Rebirth. Like, I think Vampire Weekend had a huge role in terms of, I mean, they're not like a rock rock, they're not like a rock band in the same way that Strokes are, but they were definitely a rock band that had a lot of crossover appeal, a lot of appeal in the indie community. So, yeah, I mean, I agree Mm -hmm. either, well, it's kind of hard to say she should have spent more time talking about them just because of the sheer sheer amount that was already talked about. I I was going to say, I feel like, I mean, I personally would have have cut that, and I probably would have tried to extend tv on the radios part because i feel like they had a big part in this scene i mean you know one of their members produced the first yaya's album you know but like the, there's a lot of interplay there and you hear about that on the yaya's side but not on the tv on the radio side of things and um you know like that's like that sort of thing um I guess it, it, it almost sounds like this this might have been better as a strokes biography where because I mean obviously there was plenty of overlap like you said if this focused only on the strokes or this probably could have been multiple books honestly that's probably um, better rather well, than I, rather than saying yeah I, I I get you know it kind of there's this um there's this series of, of documentaries about prog rock um i can't remember the name of it but they they actually do like multiple films depending on sort of the genre so like they have a couple that are just on like you know 70s prog rock but then they have like one that they have like a two-part kraut rock one and they have one that's just on uh rock and opposition you know and like that mm. makes sense i i feel like you know instead of saying this is 2001 to 2011 why not like 2001 to 2004 right because then, yeah, you, and then, you, and then do, you get do the a main part two. there. Yeah. Or like, like do a part two else, somewhere down the line. Well, it, it just felt like everything else after 2004, in a way, was just kind of riffing on everything that had happened before that. Like, you know, you were just talking about, oh, how Room and Fire isn't as good as, you know, is this it, you know? And and just mm-hmm. kind of talking about, like, how the strokes are spiraling out of control and how the inter, how Interpol is spiraling out of control and how Yaya yeah, yeah, yeah is kind of spiraled out of control, but then kind of stopped it because Karen O had her accident. You know, it, it, it just felt like it was all, you know, just constant, you know, repetition based off of what had already happened in a way. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it just felt like it, it, it just felt like it, it, it could have, you know, I don't know. It, it kind of fizzled out in some ways. Um, but the, I, and I yeah. feel like it's not that surprising because I mean, let's. I, I cite a lot of exa- I've cited a lot of examples over the years. Let's use our own podcast as an example, where we think we're going to talk about each album for a certain amount of time, and then we look at the clock. We still have one more album to talk about for like our usual <laughs> review episode, and we still like it's an hour, and we haven't even talked about the last one. I feel like that was kind of how this book felt, where she spent so much time in the early years it's like holy shit like we're already at you know several hundred pages and we have so yeah. much more to go because this the, like the level of care she took talking about pretty much everything in this book i mean 10 years but is a long I, time. I i guess like but i i feel like this is also like i guess we're talking about focus here you know because i i think that's where that example kind of breaks down i mean you know i i i guess I kind of, you know, um, I interpreted this book as talking about sort of how rock, you know, needed like a new, like, sh- like another shot in the arm in a way by the end mm-hmm. of the 90s. And, um, you know, how like the Strokes and Interpol and yeah, 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 were kind of there to meet that need. And uh, I, I I, have some very strong opinions in that area that uh, I would love to talk about at some point, but maybe that, that might be a later uh, date. But, you know, like, so just... I considered just, I mean, and again, this is me, just and also considering that it's called Rebirth of, you know, this is um, Rebirth and Rock and Roll in New York City, you know? So, 
mm-hmm. you would think that like you know I would I, I would personally focus on that you know part of things you know th- th- that just seems to make more sense to me like you know be, because you know we're talking about these bands coming from nothing and being given like multi-million dollar deals you know we're not talking about how they're kind of like fizzling out because you know their later efforts aren't as good according to fans like we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're talking about the the album the albums that are like making people be like holy fuck like that rock music can still do this after all this time after like you know mm. pearl jam and like you know alice and chains and whatnot you know kind of brought their own you know sort of different spice of the game like 10 years earlier and after like new metal kind of like fucked everything's up everything up in a way you know <laughs> it, it's yeah yeah um yeah <laughs> it's just i i guess if you want to get to this i maybe my biggest criticism of this and i mean this isn't really a criticism of this book but more of sort of this cultural thought that these bands were that important in that way of being like this rebirth when in reality like someone like the strokes i i honestly i listened to is this it for the first time yesterday i i, I don't i don't get why people think this is this was groundbreaking honestly the, the, it felt it sounded so derivative to me and just boring and meanwhile like like the 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 whole book is like talking about like how good they were live and like how raw and like powerful they were and comparing to them to like the fucking stooges and it's like no like the, 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 that's a piss poor <laughs> example like <laughs> uh I mean, it, it, maybe it's just me because I'm I'm sort of coming at this from a really different angle than a lot of these people, you know, not not a better one by any means. I don't think there's such thing. It's just, you know, a different a different, you know, experience with this music and sort of with other music before this, you know. And I'm just like, who in the right mind was like, oh yeah, this is a rebirth, and it's like, no, the, the, this is this is why Gene Simmons is like rock is dead. You know, <laughs> so I I can't agree with you fully because I actually, I mean I I like the Strokes, I like the bands that we talked about here. Um, what I will agree with you is the sense that, I mean, this was definitely, I don't know, like a little little high mindy, like definitely. I mean, it, you get everyone in a room who they were there. I mean, like whenever you talk about anyone who was there, you know, talking about the good old days and whatnot. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't. Yeah. They definitely. I, 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 I trust this was a good encapsulation of you know people who were there, like the primary sources of the scene. So I don't necessarily. I'm not critiquing you know, her, her journalistic integrity or anything like that. But yeah. I mean, I think you you have to have at least a, a at least a single pebble, a little grain of salt, because I mean, these are all the this is their livelihood. People were all invested. You know, sometimes you have to read. You know, one of my favorite examples from the Joy Division book is when the way that he juxtaposed certain quotes from uh, Ian Curtis's wife with other quote, like basically the whole issue of like what what could the band have, have done to help, and like the, some of her very terse answers kind of played her hand at how she actually felt. You know what what, what she said without saying it. So mm-hmm. I feel like those moments you have you have to you know zoom in a little bit to get something a little bit more objective, but not saying those moments weren't present here, but certainly there was a lot of like, and especially to what you brought up earlier, the fact that these were, you know, drug, drug fueled, like how, how coherent were some of these memories? You know, yeah. I, I think that's a, I mean, th- that's impossible. To, that's an unknowable kind of an unfair thing for me to bring up. But sometimes, I mean, like, you know, I've, I've never been this level of inebriated or, you know, I've never done these kind of drugs, but definitely nights with, with heavy drinking, the, what you remember and the lens with which you view the evening is not always is not well, always I, the clearest. I, I mean, I feel like that that's true for like any like you know documentary, any sort of like historical uh, you know uh, capturing of of you know music in a way. Um, oh, absolutely! It just I think but, to your point, like the the level of emphasis they placed on it certainly brought it to the forefront. That that's yeah, I mean, I. I just felt like it was more, you know, I felt like it was just very, I mean, I, I think for a good reason, but it just very biased against, you know, towards these, uh, towards these bands in a way in just thinking that they're like this, 
new, you know, thing when I really don't think they were. In a way, like I, I to be fair, like I, I, I didn't think like because like I said, I listened to "Is This It," "Turn on the Bright Lights," and uh, "Fever to Tell," and none of them were bad. Really, like their biggest thing, in my opinion, was just that they were really boring. Uh, actually, to, to, except for a fever to tell, I actually really liked that album. Weirdly enough, but like, I mean, Interpol was just Interpol was really depressing. Like, yeah, I, I've honestly never been a huge Interpol yeah, fan personally. Like, it was like, I mean, th- this is this is like music to drown yourself to, like in <laughs> in some ways. It, like, it really felt like that at points. I'm like, God damn! Like, how do you? How do you not want to drink after like listening to this? It's funny because <laughs> everybody compares the every like, like the, there was that whole section where like they were talking about how like everybody compares Interpol to Joy Division, and I'm like I, I've never listened to a Joy Division album, you know, and like been like yeah I I wish I drank, you know, but like this morning let me tell you that's how I felt listening to Turn on the Bright Lights, you know. <laughs> I I also will say that like I feel like. Like I think the only comparison I could see between Joy Division and um, Interpol is like Paul Banks' voice uh, sounding a little bit like Ian Curtis, but even then it it really feels pretty cursory of a comparison. Like it, it definitely yeah. doesn't feel completely warranted. But... Yeah, they're definitely they're uh, they're credited with you know the post punk revival, what have you. Yeah. Um, I, I can see, I mean, it, that's always the discussion of, you know, d- did they did they repackage ideas? Did they introduce them in a unique way? Or at least was it unique to that scene at the time? So I, could, I can understand why they were, you know, they received the kind of reception that they did. But it's certainly not. Well, it, it, it's funny that it, nobody, it, it, nobody says the same thing about the Strokes in a way. Because I'm like, th- this is like, you, you really aren't packaging anything differently in a way like it just it, i don't know to me it just felt really unoriginal but i mean yeah to, i, I to, mean to, to, to be fair i i am not an indie rock fan um yeah and i mean i think i guess this book kind of you know i, I guess i've kind of cemented myself there now with with, with yeah. this whole experience but but i mean i i will say like i i really expected to not like fever to tell and i was like really into it you know, I think part of that is just because Karen O is just so charismatic of like it's just a front mm-hmm. woman. You know, just the, like even though like, I mean, you know, we we've talked about this a lot. How like you can be a charismatic singer but not necessarily a good singer, uh, like on like a technical level. Um, and like yeah, she's very she, much she's the same a, thing. Yeah, yeah, she's a great but, example like, of that. Yeah, like her voice is like kind of grating at times in a way, but like it was the delivery and just like the passion behind what she was doing that really got me into it, you know? But yeah, I, I, I kind of don't want to like leave this thing on like, like a bad taste like that, because even though I, I, on the most part, didn't really like a lot of the music I listened to for uh, like, uh, you know, inspired by this book, you know, I still enjoyed, you know, sort of my experience as a whole with it. And, you know, just, you know, being able to sort of explore this thing because I really didn't know anything about any of these bands. You know, I, I knew Karen O was in Yaya yeah, yeah, Yaz and, you know, I knew Paul Banks was in Interpol and, you know, I knew Julia Casablancas was, you know, uh, in in The Strokes, but I really didn't know much else aside from that and, you know, kind of like little bits and pieces about certain albums, things like that. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm really glad that I I was able to read this and sort of get that knowledge. So yeah, and like I mentioned at the top of the, the episode, uh, I received this actually. It was one of my first jobs out of college. Um, my boss gave it to me as a parting gift once I left for another you know another company, and I just it just never. I mean, honestly, ironically, one of the main cons of the book was why I never read it. it just it was so fucking long. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, I'm glad I did just, you know, because like, it's good to read the books that you have <laughs> on your yeah. shelf, but That's also different. because, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that, yes, it, it, there should have been more, I think it could have been some down. I really do think this could have been a few compelling books, you know, one focus on the strokes, one, you know, they would have been shorter. I mean, I, again, I'm 
money morning quarterback, how do you do that now? But I still think yeah. it's worth, especially if you're interested in this scene, I think it's worth reading about it. I mean, there's some great nuggets sure. here, great quotes. I mean, I, especially if you like any of the bands mentioned, uh, this is, I mean, I th- I think you're going to learn a you, lot. If you just like one of the bands mentioned, I think this whole book is worth reading. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I, I don't really have um, anything more. I, I, I have two quotes if you uh, that I felt like were worth uh, saving. Um, okay. So the first one is uh, from Mark Spitz. Uh, it was pretty early, like page 32. It says, um, Soundgarden had broken up. Oasis had not delivered on their potential. Blur weren't even sounding Britpop anymore. They were sounding like Pavement. There was always going to be Dave Matthews Band. You can't even criticize them. They're just there. It'd be like criticizing pigeons. You can't get rid of them. You just hope they don't shit on you. But the bottom line is that <laughs> there was money and we needed new rock stars. And I'm like, that is a very good summation of like this entire history in a way. Yeah, um, that was a fantastic quote. I remember that. Yeah. And then this is really short. This is from uh, Tunde Adebimbe uh, from uh, TV on the radio. It's just failure is the best. After you fail, you're free. And I'm just like, I, I love that. Yeah. Like, that, 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 that's a great little little nugget to you know to to, to put in your pocket for the day <laughs> it's a feather in your cap <laughs> All yeah, right. uh, no, that, do you have any final thoughts one. you know here um, no I, I think we, we've we've covered i think we've done a pretty good job breaking down a such a long book into um yeah 50 minutes uh, yeah <laughs> much you know I, I think again, this is definitely worth reading, but yeah. be, be prepared. Uh, the the one saving grace is the fact, like I think if this was, if it wasn't formatted this way, and there was some you know kind of her narration woven in, I think it would have been a lot more difficult to read. Like the fact that it's basically just reading nothing but quotes. You know, you don't have to read any you know kind of contextual language that she put in in between i think that would have made it a lot yeah, more like difficult. A, a, any any um, like expository details kind of yeah know. exactly thank you that was I the word you. i was looking for yeah um, a, a, like exposition but, yeah. yeah um so all right well if if that's the case you want to uh you want to talk about albums of the week i would love to um right. i bought some records some some cds for my wife for our anniversary just to you know albums that i've wanted to add to our collection some newer releases that we're both been excited about i thought it's, it's i always like to get gifts that are for both of us um and while i was there at the record store i always like to check the use records bin you sometimes they have some diamonds in the rough and what did i find but i think four or five records from this one certain act that were all under 10 bucks and i was like i'm officially a dad that i am buying these but Mm -hmm. i need them and i'm very excited to listen to them and i put on one that had one of my favorite songs this band has produced and by golly did i have a great time and that is none other than earth wind and fire and the album is i am all right Oh man, this is, I mean, this is just, it's just such a fun record. Like, it's, just, it's impossible not to want to at least tap your foot listening to this. And I totally get, um, like the influence this had on like synth funk and later synth pop artists, certainly like, you know, kind of the eighties, um, you know, this came out in 79, but so like the groundwork is, is, is for a lot of Is this the 80s. one with the, uh, the Egyptian statues on it? Like Egyptian looking statues? This one, it kind of looks like... That, that, it's like, probably not very descriptive because I think there are a couple of Earth, Wind & Fire albums that have that yeah. like, type of This one is a few, a few like, like, Greci- like ancient Grecian uh, um, like pillars and whatnot on it. But th- this one has okay. uh, Boogie Wonderland, which is uh, right. Boogie Wonderland. Um, uh, what's another one? That, I mean, that's the, that's the main hit. But is Serpentine this is Fire on that a, one? No, it's not. But I think I got so I 
I one sec, I'm trying to figure, pull up Discogs, but <laughs> uh, it was crazy. Like I, I felt, yeah. Uh, all in all, Power Light, I Am, and Spirit were the four records that I grabbed, and they were just there. Uh, I've only made my way through I Am so far because we had kind of a busy weekend. But um, man, it's just you know, like peak disco R&B, just nothing like nonstop jams, nonstop hooks. Just really, well, yeah, I had a, a grand old time. It sounded really nice on vinyl. You know, like this is like an OG copy. Um, oh, man. Yeah, yeah no, just, I, I, I feel old. No, I feel like dude, a grandfather. I, I, so but, I, I, this was a while ago, but um, uh, they had Earthman and Fire's Greatest Hits for like 99 cents. At like Newbury Comics, and I, 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 I had to buy that. I was like, ninety nine cents for Earth, Wind, and Fire is great. Like, of, of course I'm gonna get that. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, you ever find how weird it is that September was never released as like a proper single? Which is so. I mean, I, I guess that's just a perfect example of you never know how people are gonna react to your songs. Yeah. Because like, if oh, they yeah. knew how big a hit that would have been, I, they absolutely would have released that. Oh yeah, look, like there's a story that like um, Super Freak was actually like just kind of like a leftover song that Rick James had, that that he was like putting on uh, on Street Sounds, and mm-hmm. uh, and they they were like, no, like this is this is fucking gold. <laughs> you yeah, because I, I mean... she's a very kinky girl, the type you don't bring <laughs> home to mother. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's crazy. I mean like September is. You know, one of the most celebrated songs in American music, and it's it, it's because I remember when I was I didn't realize that because I figured it's of course it's on its their greatest hits because it's one of their greatest hits, um, but I, when I went to look at you know what record has September on it, I was like, oh, none of them. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, just, it's, it's such a weird just, little thing. Yeah, yeah, because I know they did that. You know, gotta get you in my life was a you know kind of like Beatles a little, little bonus. Yeah, like I, I know that bands do that where they'll stick, you know, like a like a non-album track or a cover, or like a demo. Yeah, you know, they'll do something extra for those kind of releases. But yeah, I mean, even the deep cuts I hadn't heard on on I Am um, were still fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I had a, a grand old time. I really feel like I, to I need to, the to rest. dive. I need to dive into that a little bit because, like, I I only have greatest hits and like I I love that. And no, I, I mean, really for, for sure. I, I, I just, yeah. uh, I feel like it's come full circle. Like disco was like really reviled for a while or like was seen as super, I mean, it, it is super corny, but like yeah. people have accepted that that's what it is. No need to feel ashamed. I don't know. I don't really think this really isn't such a thing as a guilty pleasure. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm in agreement there. It's yeah. You know, I mean, you, I mean, you, you like what you like. Yeah, because cause the more you consider something a guilty pleasure, the more that you are acknowledging that there's something, I don't know, something wrong. That's probably like, sounds a little too harsh, but like, you know, the more you try like, to qualify why you like something. Well, I, I think with the guilty pleasure, it's like it, it almost like as the qualifier that like you're supposed to like X instead of Y. You know, that that like X, yeah. X is the right thing and Y is the wrong thing, you know. And, you know, it's just like, fuck that. Fuck that mentality. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, it's, it's like my biggest pet peeve when it comes to art is, is people kind of pulling that like, oh, you know, this is this is the only true music or, you know, like, you know, it, it, it's like those people who are, you know, think that like, you know, classical music is, is like the only true music out there. And it's like, fuck you guys. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but. That's actually that's one of my bigger pet peeves is when people say like, yeah, like it's not great, but like it's fun. I'm like, just because something's fun doesn't mean it has to be like bad or like like it's yeah. not well written. But guess what? It's fun. Like one of my favorite quotes. It was a I forget the metal record, but it was just it was a very very bland, just really boring. I think it was, um, it was the newest decapitated album before they had all types of controversy that we don't need to get into, but it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't that they stopped being a death metal band. It's just that they made like bad groove metal. Like if, if they weren't death metal anymore, but made good groove metal, great. That's fantastic. But this was not that. 
And one of one of the guys in the heavy blog, like the broader heavy blog, like family group, said, "Yeah, you know, it's it, all it's it, like it's just fun, dude. It's just a bunch of beer chugging slammers." And I'm like, "Okay, there. First of all, what a way to support an album. Like, yeah, it's not that well written, <laughs> but it they're beer chugging slammers, man. And I'm like, there are plenty of fans who write beer chugging slammers that are genuinely like just because it's simple doesn't mean it's bad, you know." It can, yeah. pop music can be well written it can be good and I feel like to bring it full circle and to move on Earth, Wind & Fire, like their music is is simple, the hooks are infectious but it, it's well written, it's good like yeah. it's, I'm not going to say oh you know it's fun whatever, like no like I think that they did a it, really it's, great it's, job yeah it, I mean yeah just because something's simply written doesn't mean it's bad or that it's somehow lesser because you know I mean l- look at minimalism like you know, yeah, <laughs> like the whole thing is entirely based around simple motifs, you know, um, but, you, you know, it's, it's, in, you know, but I think with that, it's like you're, you're looking at something so simple that it becomes complex almost. But that's, again, getting getting way off track. Um, I guess I should talk about my album of the week. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Yes. Um, so I actually knew what my album of the week was going to be like back like on Tuesday. Or something like that when I, I put it on in the car and I was just like just transported back to a better time in a way. Uh, and that is uh, Thursday by the weekend. <laughs> I, we're, we're, we're going real pop today. Uh, if, I know. If that's that great. I honest. love it. But yeah, I, I, um, I fucking love Thursday so much. Like, I mean, every single track. I, I, I've had it stuck in my head all week. I mean, whether it's The Zone, which features probably the only thing by Drake I've ever liked. Um, <laughs> um, and you know, but but then there's like birds, you know, which is just like an amazing, amazing track. You know, we got the title track, we've got Lonely Star, we've got Rolling Stone, you know, Heaven or Las Vegas, you know, like oh, just like such great freaking like just pop going on here, and like even though like yeah. I guess Abel was just like high out of his mind during the recording of this to the point like he doesn't really remember a ton of uh like of like exactly what he was saying in a way like yeah i know but but i'm just like i i don't give a shit it's such a good album dude like i i really just loved listening to this thing this week um yeah it was just it was just a really good time yeah i remember when we did the the weekend recap episode that we did um, Where we, we, we revisited we, we, we revisit the, the trilogy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Uh, more specific. Yeah. Um, I always thought that you know House of Balloons was the only one that was great, and then the other two were just kind of eh, whatever. And I was proven so wrong. Like I remember listening <laughs> to Thursday, like oh yeah, this is one of the this is the. I for me, I thought it went um, House of Balloons, Echoes of Silence, and then Thursday. And as I'm listening, I'm like, man. Not only, not only do these songs slap, I forget how much I like specifically remember liking these back in the day. Like, just yeah. it's weird how our, our memory does, how our memory can fail us sometimes. But yeah, this is, uh, I mean, I feel like House of Balloons kind of took all the attention, which might be the reason why I remember it that way. But Thursday is, is, is really, really close second. You know, I, I remember being very surprised at how much I remember and how much I enjoyed it. So yeah, I'm definitely, uh, <laughs> It, it, it's kind of funny. It's funny because I, I would I would go Thursday Echoes of Silence and then House of Balloons. <laughs> so it's so kind of like the reverse of your original like order. You know, <laughs> that's way. interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but that, that, that's more of my you know preference. But yeah. So yeah, Thursday. Freaking freaking love it. So freaking awesome. Just made my week in a way. So. Um. Yeah, and that that's what music is supposed to do. So, you know, I it, it, it's, it's, this is another instance of what maybe some might consider as a guilty pleasure, but it is not because there is not. I I feel no guilt here. <laughs> no, I, I mean he um, again. He's done a great job. I feel like pop music, like radio pop. There are some genuinely well written. Like I think I'm I'm in, like I'm I'm not. You know, I wouldn't say that this is a guilty pleasure. I think Dua Lipa. I mean, I don't know how much she writes her music, but the beat she's on and the compositions that she sings on are just genuinely well written. Like they're really good. I mean, again, 
they're pop like we're, this isn't like a tech death song like we're not talking yeah. about like super complex but in the scope of pop music like i remember when um chain smokers came out like they were i actually i liked them at first but it was when they appeared on snl and it was the blandest live performance i've ever seen in my mm-hmm. like it wasn't bad it wasn't good it was just the most like we are performing this song for you please listen and just like so boring and i stopped liking them because like wow this is actually really bad like really poorly written so there are definitely yeah. gradients of pop music and i think that, I mean, I... um well i think I... the weekend has done a, a good job like like drake i think has he's been a chameleon to his detriment i think that he's kind of done a passable job topping on different trends i think the weekend has genuinely done a great job over time oh, yeah. like i feel like when you you listen to his records you kind of hear the the evolution of where like and i think part of it is because he helped set some trends or like, he was one of the major artists at those times but he's done a great job updating his sound for what's for going sure. on in pop at the time yeah but then still doing something that's artistic and relevant in that way yeah i yeah so i mean i yeah but i i, I was i i feel like i have some thoughts about poptimism that we could talk about some other time but i think right now we need to just call it call it a day um, I would love to talk about optimism at some point because yeah. it's one of those things. It's one of those things where I both get it very strongly and also don't get it very strongly. Like it just well, it puzzles me. Like it's a very interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's it's like uh, I mean it, just to put it abstractly, and again we can tackle this some other time. Like it's it's well intentioned, and I think it's the probably the closest to correct than you know another like the you know what other ideologies would say. But it's not like it's still severely flawed in a way. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, but yeah. The, 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 this will be a talk for another time. So, all right, great. Well, thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, if you're interested, uh, you know, if you want to hear more, just, you know, listen to us on uh, iTunes, Pod, Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast, basically. Uh, we're on all of it. Uh, if you follow us on Anchor, too, you know, whatever works for you. And uh, definitely be sure to follow us on Twitter. And if you ever have any suggestions, topics you want us to talk about or questions, anything like that. Uh, be sure to email us. Yeah, uh, we're at, at Seishira Podcast on Twitter, and our email, I think, is Seishira Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Bye.